Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 19th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of October 11th, 2020. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited to be back in the booth. Boy, has it been a little while since I was last in here, and a lot's happened for me personally, and a lot's just been going on because we're in this position now within the church that you have stuff starting to go on with confirmation and Sunday school-like stuff. However, that's happening this year, and that's been more challenging and more difficult just based off the way that the world is at this point, while still that we're getting toward the end of this church year. This is coming up real quick that we're going to be moving into Mark's gospel here pretty quick. So there's just a lot going on as we're trying to figure that all out much less that there's an election and we're not going to get into talking about that and all the different tensions and stuff that we're feeling as we're all going through this together. It's just kind of crazy to think about. And when we're in this type of season where everything is just a whirlwind, it's one of those moments a lot of times in life where we need to be able to take a breath We need to be able to recognize the beauty that's around us, realize and recognize the beauty of things that God's doing in our lives. And a lot of times that means taking a breath. And so when life is just chaotic and moving really quickly, how often we just need that moment to relax, R-E-L-A-X, relax, just calm yourself. So often we get really wound up in everything that we're doing and that can cause more hurt and more chaos. And when we don't take that breath, when we don't let ourselves for a moment try to process, that's when a lot of times we can do a lot of damage. So let's jump into last week's Twitter question. The Twitter question is, what sacrifices do you need to make for others? And I think right now, that's a great question that we all should be asking ourselves. Because I think in a lot of ways, with the tensions and the climate that we're in, we need to be able to take a breath. We need to be able to maybe not take as hard of a stance on things publicly. Maybe we need to hold some of these thoughts and stuff inside so that we can more civilly discuss things and not let our emotions get part of us. I know for me, as I'm in the first few weeks of marriage here, It's something that I've been noticing myself is there's times where it's like, I need to be able to process this enough to be able to calmly discuss something that's going on or calmly be able to express my feelings. Because if I'm not doing that, it's not loving. It feels very like I'm trying to take my issues out on a punching bag. And instead of civilly discussing, it becomes an argument. And that's not good. That's not how we want to handle people that we care about. That's not how we want to handle and care about our neighbor as we are told to love. And so in this season of chaos, I think there's a lot of times that we need to be able to breathe enough to realize that we need to love in order for us to be able to move forward. And a lot of times that sometimes is hard because it's not necessarily our first inclination is this is what I'm supposed to do is go and take a breath and settle myself. But a lot of times that's really what we're needing. Let's just jump into the text this week. The first reading is out of Isaiah chapter 25 verses 1 to 9. 
Here we get this piece talking about how a city has been ruined and everything's cast down, but then we still have to trust that the God that we have is this overabundant God. So we have to remember, whenever they're talking about a feast, a feast, especially in the Old Testament here, this is before you had money. So if you had a feast, it's an abundance. It's that you have a lot. And so when we're talking about having this feast and that spread over all nations, that we're welcoming in all these people, even as the destruction's there, realizing that God will continue to provide. And from that, we're going to be able to find wherever God is steering us through this, even the chaos that's going on at this moment, that we're able to see clearly the clarity that God is trying to steer us toward. The alternative first reading this week is out of Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. This is now the people of Israel have been out of Egypt. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. People thought it was going to be a real quick trip. This ended up being a much longer trip. He's been up there for nearly 40 days. The people come and talk to Aaron and say, you know, what can we do We're wanting to do something. We're not sure if Moses is coming back. He is kind of old. Maybe he died. And so they decide to try to make this golden image, arguably, depending on how you want to read this, of God and the shape of a calf. This upsets God quite a bit, ends up telling Moses to come down, and Moses isn't real happy when he gets down there. But initially here at the end of this reading, we have where God is talking to Moses and is just like, let's just wipe it clean. We'll come from your ancestors and we'll rebuild this thing again. And Moses kind of clarifies, what would this show the neighbors? What would this show the Egyptians that you wiped them off the face of the planet? You had made a promise to Abraham and Isaac that this was going to be the descendants forever. And so why are you looking at doing this, God? And from this, it kind of convinces God that, yeah, let's give these people a chance. We will be able to work on that. The psalm this week is Psalm 23, arguably the most recognizable psalm, looking at the Lord as a shepherd and is continuing uh, to be with us and provide for us as sheep. And even as we go through these difficult places, we know that it's going to lead toward this place of abundance where the cup overflows. And from that, we shall be able to realize this abundance and dwell with that and dwell with God. And hopefully in our life, whenever that ends, that we're still able to share in that with others. The second reading this week is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. So now again, we're back in Philippians. We're back into this discussion that Paul is having. This is kind of interesting. He goes through and urges two different people who are fighting and some different women in the area to continue to work together, that this is bigger than what you are saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, coming from verse 4. This idea that, again, that God has given so much. So why would we be 
consumed with these minor details at times that maybe we have to be able to give them in front of God to be able to understand that in the scheme of things, a lot of things are quite small. And that especially coming together in Christ, that we should be able to have a civil discussion about this instead of arguing. And that God is trying to stir in us and let us learn from that as he stirs, it provides us peace that we need. The gospel this reading is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. This is not exactly a fun text to come back to, but it's still a really powerful text. So this is Jesus speaking in a parable. There's a king who wants to have a banquet for his son. He sends the slaves out to let people know about this party. All the people that he invites turn them down, saying that there's other things that they need to be doing. This upsets the king, and so he sends the troops to destroy and murder after some of the people had already been taking advantage of his slaves initially with the initial invite. So he then decides to open it up to everybody. Just bring in people off the street, anybody, good and the bad are there. They're all there, and they're all wearing a wedding robe except one. And the king notices this, and he goes and asks why this person isn't wearing a wedding robe. He doesn't say anything. So the king then decides to bind his feet and throw them out in the streets where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we get this coming from verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. That ends the reading. That's the good news this week. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of disturbing. But before we look at how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug, Bo, Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, having their Sermon Brainways podcast, having four different seminary professors from Luther Seminary, along with having commentaries from other biblical scholars all over the world, and having these other discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis. And if you've never checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Like I stated, this isn't exactly the gospel text that I would hand choose to come back to. But there's a lot in there. Because there's a lot of ways you can look at this, and when you can look at it from a more historical perspective, it's probably Jesus calling out the people leading the temple at this point. The Pharisees were making up all these rules and who's in and who's out, and there's a lot of kind of little laws that they're making that it was kind of almost funny when you think about it and and think about it from that perspective. And you can then start seeing that probably the person without the robe was Jesus. And being tossed out in the street where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth is probably him somewhat foretelling his own death. What does it mean, though, to be many are called and few are chosen? What does it mean to be at a wedding feast and you're the only one not in a robe? I mean, there's a lot of ways we can take this. And when I was thinking about this and thinking about it from the perspective of all these people at a wedding feast and one person doesn't have a robe, you know, you have all these people who obviously had the money. Did anybody have a second robe? Did everybody just turn and give them the evil eye the whole time? Or was there something else going on? One of the things I stumbled across was a couple older articles, but it 
kind of reiterates from Scientific America, they have, duh, 11 obvious science findings of 2011. And I'll attach the article down below, but it's kind of funny what they're discovering here. Men appear confident by suppressing fear, pain, and empathy was one of them that they discovered. They have another one, pigs love mud. Fashion magazines glorify youth. People with generous partners have happy marriages. And it goes on for a few more here. And it goes on for a few more here. But what's the point? Why would we spend money on researching the duh science? Because if you don't research the duh science, you can't make that assumption. That's part of science. That's part of building your case in science is that you have to be able to eliminate the obvious selections at times, or you need to be able to justify why you didn't go with one of the obvious selections, if there's one there. You know, it's this process that we all go through of having to eliminate different things to help get to whatever solution that we choose. But in doing that, that means at times you have to have somebody do the research to do these duh things. And it gets back to a thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's part of the beauty of having, at times, the National Science Foundation and federally funded science in certain parts because, again, you can justify, I need to research this duh science to be able to get me further down the road, but I need to be able to eliminate this. And someone needs to be willing and able for me to research Something just very duh, like restricting driver's licenses decreases teen fatalities. By doing this, by making sure that we have the duh out of the way, we're able to see these different things. But also, with the flip side of the coin, how often do we overlook the duh? It can't be that solution. It can't be that simple. How often do we look for the difficult And it can't be just this simple solution. I remember one of my science classes in, I think, middle school, so junior high, and the teacher gave us this huge thing for an experiment. And he has all these different things that you'll need for this experiment laid out behind, and people are just anticipating and excited to get into it. But we have been talking about the scientific method, and part of that then still is to make sure that you read through all your methods before you do this experiment. But many of us, again, it's early on in the year, you're wanting to make a good impression, you have all these groups, you know, we know there's so much time, so you're just wanting to dig into it. And if you'd actually spent the time to read it, and I remember my class, there was one group, and unfortunately it wasn't mine, that read through it. There was a spot that said, now skip the first 32 steps and start here. So all these people who are starting on all these different contraptions, which essentially said later in the method to just forget, let go of, and start actually here on step 33. The obvious thing to do was to read the directions, to make sure that we knew what we were doing. But instead, we wanted to jump into things, we wanted to accuse, we wanted to do all these things and not understand, and instead we just quickly ridiculed. I think about if this is Jesus not wearing the wedding robe and he gets called out, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he is speechless, coming from verse 12. He's called out. There's assumption in that 
text. In that question, there's assumption. You're pointing that there's already a problem. Would you be able to speak? Would you be able to say that I wasn't told that I needed one? Or would you be able to say I mixed in with the crowd and I came in? Or I heard there was abundance and I was hungry and I needed something to eat? Would we be able to say that? In a lot of ways, this person is also very bold. Because if he had noticed around him all these people in wedding gowns and he didn't have one, to just be able to ignore and continue on, what does that mean? The phrase of how did you get in without? How did you get in here without? It's an accusation. Instead, it could have easily been, why didn't you bring a wedding robe? Do you have a wedding robe? What would have been, you would assume, the next question. Instead of starting with the obvious question, the obvious moment of, sir, why, can I ask why you aren't in a wedding robe? He accuses. He skips the duh science and immediately goes to accusing, assuming that the person has a wedding robe or assuming that he knew that he was supposed to. There's assumption all over that one phrase. That's the hard thing, again, with science is taking this broad enough approach that we aren't assuming. You build upon the last person's research, but eventually you have to go back to the big question of why. You have to clarify the initial problem. And this doesn't happen here. The king immediately jumps down his throat. Could you argue that the person here not wearing the wedding robe could have done some assuming himself? Yeah. But maybe he was also trying to make a statement. Maybe there was also the moment in there where this person is trying to reiterate, you are saying, come the both the good and the bad, whoever you found, this is what I have. We don't know because the right questions weren't asked. And that's one of the major parts about science is you have to start with the right questions. Because if you start with the right questions, then you'll get answers that lead you toward the solutions and answers that you're looking for. But if you don't ask the right questions to begin with, you aren't actually accomplishing and moving toward what you are looking for. Brothers and sisters, too often, I find us at times, and myself included, we're the king making bad assumptions. We aren't sometimes even making sure that we're asking the broad enough question to actually get an answer that can help us answer why. We assume things initially. We aren't then coming in love. We aren't coming in the peace that we're told, especially that we hear out of the second reading. And by doing that, we're then not dependent on what God can do. We're not much different then than the alternative first reading with the Israelites assuming Moses is dead. We have to be able to realize that this is a God of abundance. But make sure we're asking the right questions to begin with. The king noticed something was different. That's good science. The problem was his immediate assumption. How often within people within our own faith communities based off of acting differently or someone coming in from the outside that isn't living and doing it the exact way that we have been. Are we casting these people into the street? Casting them into the darkness as the text says? Are we ostracizing them? As we look at where we are right now within the world, and we look at the division, at least here in the United States, that we're having, as we look at many churches 
having to wrestle with should we be open, should we not be open. As we look at the church coming back together at some point and realizing that it can't be the same, but is our own intrinsic bias to keep things the same, have everyone in the wedding robe, have the service the way that we had initially intended. The king had assumptions. Have we made assumptions where there isn't supposed to be assumptions? Have we made the assumption that church is this way? Have we made the assumption that life should be this way? Brothers and sisters, life is constantly changing. And that's one of the hard parts about life. We cling onto this idea that things remain the same, and yet nothing remains the same. Every year the trees grow, every year the leaves change. But with the trees growing, the leaves aren't the same. The trees don't look the same. They're different. We assume that things are the same, but they're not. There'll be trees that fall down. There'll be trees that continue to grow. We have to realize the gift that we have around us. In science, we make assumptions. And when we do, it better be in the hypothesis phase and that we're hypothesizing this assumption. Because if we assume too much, it's not good science. It doesn't work out. You can't give enough evidence to do that. Our faith is the same way, especially as church communities are the same way. If we assume too much, we don't end up actually coming together. We don't end up actually seeing where God really is trying to lead us because we made assumptions and didn't ask the right questions. And we see that throughout scripture. We see that when when we get this discussion talking about the tax collectors and what should we give to the Roman government? Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God. And how many pastors have we heard say over the years, the next question should be, what is God? Isn't everything God's? What is Caesar's? The right questions were at least in that case documented if they were asked. We have to make sure within our own lives that we're asking the right questions. So the Twitter question is this week will be this. Where have you made assumptions in your life? Has that ever backfired? And where in your life can you make sure you're asking the right questions? I know for me in my life, one of the ways that I think about this question is with people who I hold dear, that I know at some point the end of life is coming. And to make sure you have those conversations that you have always wondered but never asked. To have those conversations with those people to make sure that they know that they are loved and cared about. And that you can hopefully hear that same response coming back in your ears. The king, when he approached this man, didn't come with love, came with accusations. How often we are so similar and come with this iron fist of judgment. And we miss an opportunity to be able to learn and grow together. That's a lot of what science in its purest, beautiful form is working together to be able to look beyond differences between people. Male, female, whatever color, whatever gender, whatever race, whatever age. As long as you can back it up and show the results Maybe I'll run it again just to make sure we can have similar results and we can talk about it. But that's a place of love, a place of welcoming each other in. We can't come with accusations. Brothers and sisters, in the season of chaos, at least here in the States, come with love, not with accusations. Accusations divide, love unites. And we have to remember, 
Otherwise, we accidentally maybe throw someone who was essential to the party out into the street, into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we don't know if that's the one who was chosen to end up helping the party in some way. We miss that opportunity. I really hope that as we continue on in this craziness of life right now, as we continue through this pandemic, what we really all need is to care and love each other. Be attentive and notice where maybe people are in need of help. Instead of coming in with accusations, coming in with the broad questions, to be able to notice the need and to help the need wherever the need is because we don't know if we're assuming that that's the, the need that maybe there's something that they are noticing about us where we are in need and we don't even know it so we'll wrap this up as we always do i pray god blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science <laughs>